Hi, and welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. This week, Josh Story will be preaching on the gospel's antidote for when everything is going right. We hope you enjoy. Good evening. How are we doing? Pretty good. Good deal. Uh, all right, let's go. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be um, skipping around a bit tonight, but we'll be starting off, um, starting off there. Um, so I am, uh, I'm like a big prayer journal guy. Um, I like write out my prayers, uh, not because there's anything inherently spiritual about that. I'm just way too ADD to pray any other way. Um, I'm just really easily distracted. Uh, and so a few years ago, I began to kind of sit down and just write out whenever I prayed. And so this week, I was kind of like reading through some of my, uh, my old prayers in this journal I have, and I came to this realization. And the realization is that if I were to just give you my journal of prayers and say, hey, um, just take some assumptions about me as a person based on what you read in my prayers, um, you would undoubtedly come to the conclusion that my life is always on fire. Like, you would read it and you would think, this dude's psycho. Like, like this dude is always stressed about something. He's always anxious about something. He's always angry about something. Like, he is, like, exhausted and tired and weary, and he questions God a lot. And there's all, like, man, this dude's life, like, must be on fire all the time. So, like, I don't know, like, what you kind of expect to find in, like, a pastor's prayer journel if it's, like, some, like, Oh, God of heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, that's not how it is. It's like, God, I need you. Like, I'm freaking out, right? And, and so I, I was kind of reading through it. I'm like, wow, people would think that my life must always be on fire. But then if you were to keep reading, and, and specifically, if you were to notice the date at the top of each prayer, you would also find something really interesting. And it's the fact that sometimes there's like six or seven days between prayers, right? Like, um, like, between these prayers, there'll be like weeks sometimes at a time of like kind of gaps. And so I kind of began to think like, like, like what's happening in these massive gaps between these like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me style prayers? Um, and what I realized is that on all those days in between, my life's actually pretty awesome. Like my life's pretty sweet. Like, like, like things are going well, things are going right. Like I, I'm really loving life. But then I had these kind of moments where all of a sudden I, I turned back to the Lord, and I'm just like, God, what's happening? Where, where are you? And I, what I realized this week as I was kind of reading through is that I have this weird tendency where I am so quick to, to turn to the Lord and to cry out to him in the moments when everything is going wrong, but I'm very slow to turn to him and acknowledge him and praise him and worship him when everything's going right. Like, when things are awful, I am so quick to turn to him. But when things are really, really good, it's like I just kind of forget that he's there. It's like that. I just kind of forget that he's around. Like, like, I don't know if it's I don't feel my need for him, but, like, there's just these gaps in my prayer life where I'm like, God, I just don't function like I need him, right? And I could be wrong, but my guess is that I'm, I'm not alone in this. My guess is that on some level, we all have a tendency from time to time to function in a way where we're quick to turn to the Lord when things are going wrong, but we're slow to turn to him when things are going right. 
And so, so maybe like in the moments when you feel just alone or you're tired of being alone, you're, you're on your face before God, and you're, God like, and you're just praying and you're turning to him and you're crying out to him. But the moment that you get that date, you don't praise him for it. You don't acknowledge him. You don't turn to him and say, God, how gracious, how kind are you for showing up the way that I've been asking you to? Or maybe you spend just weeks on your face before the Lord asking him for healing. When you or someone is sick and you're just on your knees and you're just begging, God, will you show up? God, will you heal? Yet you don't remain on your face in adoration when the healing actually comes. I think, I think sometimes we just kind of fall in this trap where you know, we are so quick to cry out when things are going wrong, but are just slow to turn to when things are going right. And so the question that I want us to answer tonight is why, why is that? Because I think if we're honest, like what, what that reveals about us is um, on some level an, an immaturity, but I, I think that it reveals that sometimes we are just very one-sided. We are um, not exactly well-rounded when it comes to our approach to who God is, right? Because we, we turn to him when things are going bad, but man, when things are really, really good, for some reason we just kind of forget and it just reveals that we have this worship problem. And so, um, so what I want to do tonight is really simple. I want to talk about four reasons why we are slow to worship God in the good. Four reasons why we are slow to worship God in, in the good. And my hope is, is, is that as we unpack scripture tonight, that, that we come to a place where we develop a perspective um, that is a well-rounded perspective that we can um, quickly approach the Lord in both uh, the bad times, but also the good. So that's where we're going tonight. And I'll just go ahead and dive in. Um, the first reason why I think we are slow to praise God in the good is because we don't define good correctly. Um, I think if we're honest, we don't always define what good is correctly. And what I mean is that oftentimes we have a very narrow view of what constitutes good, of like what is worthy of, of praising God and worshiping God and thanking God for. We have a very narrow view of what good actually means, right? Um, because if you think, think about it historically, um, we kind of culturally believe that for something to be good, it's void of conflict, it's void of pain, it's easy, uh, it doesn't require patience, it doesn't require endurance, right? Like we, we view good as a, as a, a synonym for ease, right? If things are easy, they're, they're good. If, if things aren't hard for us, if, if there's not pain involved, then things are good. But the reality is that when we look at scripture, we see a very different definition. Because in scripture, we, we find that things can be painful and good at the exact same time. In scripture, we find that things can be uncomfortable, they can be good, therefore worthy of going to the Lord and praising him and worshiping him and thanking him at the exact same time. That, that those things aren't um, antonyms, Th that those things can coexist. And so um, let me give, give you an example. This is, this is uh, Hebrews 12, starting, um, starting in verse, verse 5. We'll have the verses up on the screen as well. The writer of Hebrews says, says this. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, that says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. In fact, it is for discipline that you have to endure, because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and are not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and lives? 
And this is the crux. He says, for they are are, our fathers. They have disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I love this passage because what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's introducing us to this idea of the discipline of the Lord being something that should create rejoicing within us. Right? He says there are moments in time where, where God, out of his love for you as a father, will, he'll, he'll discipline you. He'll bring moments into your life that are painful. He'll bring moments that are uh, not exactly pleasant, that are uncomfortable. But in those moments, what he's doing is he is loving you because he is striving to help you grow to look more like him, to, to grow in holiness. That is all working for our good. Now, again, that's painful stuff. Yet he's saying when, when that happens, when we are on the receiving end of the discipline of the Lord, that should create rejoicing because it affirms that we are children of God. Right? That affirms that we are his sons and his daughters because you don't discipline people that are not your own kids. Right? Like, I cannot walk up to uh, a kid throwing a fit in Target and be like, you're grounded. Right? Like, I can't say, hey, no more screen time for you. Like, you go to jail for stuff like that. Right? Like, that's not a thing. Right? Um, like, and plus, like, I don't care. Like, like, like I, don't, I don't care enough to discipline this kid because he's not mine. Like, it has no effect on me. I'm going to get in my car and never see him again, right? And so what we know is that, man, what good loving parents do is they have a love for their kids to say, hey, this might not feel good right now. This might not be pleasant right now. You might hate me for this right now, but I love you. And this is working for your good. This is designed to chisel you and shape you and mold you to look more like Christ. And that should create this sense of gratitude and rejoicing and saying, God, God, this hurts. God, I don't like where I am in life, but I have the perspective to see that you're working for my good. And so the question for us, when, when it comes to kind of how we approach a guy, like, do we have the perspective to define good correctly? Do we have the, pers- the, the, the perspective to see that something can be painful and good, that something can be uncomfortable and still good, that produces within us a sense of saying, God, I I hate this, it hurts, but God, I I praise you for it, I love you for it, thank you for caring enough about my soul to shape me and mold me. Because I think like a breakup can be both painful and good at the same time, if we have the perspective to see it. I think losing your job can be both painful and good at the same time if we have the perspective to see it, right? This isn't in my notes, but I was, I was thinking about this earlier, so I'm going to just go ahead, ahead and share it. I, um, when, when I graduated college, I was dating this girl, and uh, I was a jerk. Like, through and through, I was a jerk, and it did not end well. And for a decade of my life that I called my 20s, um, I uh, was single. Um, and, uh, and I 100% believe like, like, I don't have scripture to back this up, but, but I 100% believe that what happened in that moment is that God graciously, lovingly said, hey, look, I trusted you with one of my daughters, and you squandered it. 
That is not how you treat one of my girls. That's not how you cherish one of my daughters. And so what's going to happen is that you're going to sit on the bench for a long time. And you're going to watch. And you're going to study. And you're going to learn what it looks like to love and cherish one of my daughters. And until I can trust you with one of my daughters, you are going to be on the bench. And I hated it for a long time. There were those nights where I was like, did I just screw up everything forever? Like, did I miss my shot? Like, was that it? But now I have the perspective to look and say, man, who I am as a husband now, even though I have a long way to go, amen, Hills, right? Um, <laughs> like, I'm not a per- perfect husband by any stretch. I have a long way to go. But who I am as a husband now is drastically different than who I would have been as a husband at 23 years old. If the Lord hadn't graciously said, hey, grab some bench for a little bit, bro. Grab some bench and, and learn and study. Like I'm, like, I'm not doing this to punish you. I'm doing this because I love you. I care enough about your soul to learn how to do this correctly. And, I, and now I have the perspective to praise him for it, even though in the moment, and when I say a moment, I mean 10 years, I hate it. Right? And so the question for us as believers is, are we mature enough to, to have the perspective to see that, man, there is a very narrow definition of good that we can have, or we can have the right definition that allows us to say there are things in life that are both painful and good, and in those moments, if I can recognize that, that should lead me to a place where I am quick to praise God and thank him for it because I know that's working for my good. The question is, do we have that perspective? But here's the, the second thing. Here, here's the second reason why I think we are slow to praise God in the good. And it's the fact that we deem that the good that we experience isn't good enough. Oftentimes, we experience good, good things, but we, uh, we deem that the good that we do experience is not good enough. Right? Um, meaning, there are things that um, we, we all experience that we can all agree on um, is good. Like, like, no one would argue against it. But based on kind of where we might be in life, we can look at it and say, yeah, yeah, that's really good and I appreciate it. But if I'm honest, that's not the good that I'm looking for. That's not the good that I desire. Like, yeah, that's good, but I didn't ask for that, right? It's like when you get um, like a present for Christmas and it's really cool, but it's not what you asked for. And you're like, oh, this is really neat, but it's not what I wanted, right? Like that's kind of like what's happening here, right? And so let me give you an example of this. Um, in Psalm 103, it'll be up on the screen as well. Um, David writes, writes this, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now, stop right there. What he's saying is very specific. He's saying, hey, um, we should worship God, praise God, bless his name, but don't forget his benefits. Meaning, let us not forget all of the good that God is responsible for in our lives. All of the good that he gives us, all of the good that he lavishes upon us. And then he begins to list off what this good entails. It says, for he forgives all of your iniquity. He heals all of your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So, so David, when, when he thinks about, man, all right, what, what is the good? What are the benefits of the God? What kind of good is God responsible for that should be praised, that should be um, worshiped? The first thing that he says is that he forgives all of our 
iniquities, meaning that he forgives all of our sin. Right? That, like I said, the ultimate good, the number one good that we are on the receiving end of is that we have a God who forgives all of our sin. And that is worthy of praise. Now, here's the thing. My guess is that no one in this room would ever argue that forgiveness of sin is a bad thing. I think we can all agree that's a good, good thing. Like, even if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Christ in this room, even in theory, I think we could all agree that the idea of a loving, gracious God who goes to great lengths to, to bridge the gap that our sin created by allowing his son to die in our place so that now we have a right relationship with God. We're no, no longer defined by our sin or our shame, but we are defined by the fact that our God loves us and his son died in our place. Like, like, like that's a good thing, right? Having access to God, having a right relationship with him is a good thing. I think we can all agree on that, even in theory, right? But if we're honest, I think there are moments in our life when we read texts like that and we say, yeah, 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 that's good. Like, forgiveness of sin is good, but it doesn't help me pay rent. Like, forgiveness of sin is good, but it's not a date. Yeah, forgiveness of sin is good, but it doesn't change the fact that my family is a mess. Forgiveness of sin is good, but man, like, I'm trying to get that promotion. Forgiveness of sin is, is, is really, really good, and I appreciate it, but it's not the good that I'm looking for. It's not the good that, I, that I'm, I'm wanting right now. I don't know about you, but, but I find myself in that posture all the time, where, where there are certain things that I long for, that I want, that I'm convinced this is the good that my soul needs. This is the good that is going to actually satisfy and fulfill me. There are moments in time when I read the scripture, and it's like, look at the good. Why aren't you praising God for the fact that you're not defined by your past anymore? Why are you not praising God for the fact that like, you are no longer defined by your worst mistake? Like, that's good. But in my heart, I'm like, yeah, it's good, but it's not good enough. And when I find myself in that posture, what I, I find is that in those moments, I lose sight of the gravity of my situation. I lose sight of the gravity of what's happening, the gravity of my sin versus the holiness of God. I lose sight of the fact that that I have rightfully earned death. I have rightfully earned eternal separation from God, yet out of the grace of God, that's not what I get. David goes on to explain it in Psalm 103 as saying that um, as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our sins from us. He says, we praise God because he has not treated our sins the way that they deserve to be treated. He's been kind. He's been gracious. He forgives our iniquities. Man, the fact that we have been forgiven us, and that is the ultimate good. The question is, do we have the perspective to say that that is good enough? Do we have the perspective to say, and if all God gives me in this world that's good, is forgiveness of sin, that's enough. Do we have the perspective to say, man, if the only good that I experience in this world is that God has freed me from bondage to sin and shame, that's good enough. Again, that's much easier said than done, but I think that what we see in Scripture is that this is the ultimate good if we have the eyes to see, if we have the perspective to see it. But there's another reason why we are slow to praise God and the good, and it's this, that sometimes we view gifts as entitlement. 
that we view gifts as entitlements. And let me read to you James 1. This is James 1, starting in 16, verses 17. It says this. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All right, so what, what James is saying here is really clear. He's saying, hey, anything good that you experience, any good thing that you experience, anything that is perfect that you experience, that is a gift from God. That is God graciously lavishing his grace upon you, giving you good things. Like that is a gift from the Lord. Yet oftentimes how we function is that we view or confuse gifts as entitlements. And when we think that we are entitled to something, when we think that God owes us something, that drastically shapes the way that we approach God, right? So, um, for instance, I have, the, the older I get, I've come to conclude that community is a very seasonal thing. There, there are moments in time when community is awesome and, like, it's like all of your friends in the world are in one place, and it's deep, and it's rich, and it's full, and it brings life, and, and, and you're just constantly feeling filled up, right? And then there's times when people move, when they change church, churches, when they transfer schools, when they have a baby and you don't see them for six months because they're taking care of a human life, right? There's like all these things where you're like, where like, like, like community just changes, right? But community is a gift. And if we understand that community is a gift, some, something that we're not entitled to, but something that God graciously gives us, then when the community changes shapes, when someone moves away, what happens is it allows you to say, man, praise the God that I had that experience. Praise the God that even just for a small moment in time, I got to do life with these people. That's incredible. God, how gracious are you that you would even allow me to experience that? But if we view community as an entitlement, we don't have the ability to, to praise God and to worship and, and to thank him for the gift that it is. We only have the ability to be angry and upset when we don't have it. Our only other option is to shake our fist at God and say, God, where are you on this? Why do I feel so alone? God, God why did you take that person away from me? Why did you allow me to experience that for a moment and then just rip it out of my hands? Right? It drastically shapes our posture towards God, because as believers, we have this posture where we are to view every good and perfect thing, not as something that we're entitled to or not as something that God owes us, but as a gift. In fact, we have a, a theological word for this. It's called common grace. What common grace is, is, is it's this idea that God is so gracious and so kind that he lavishes good things upon every single person in, in a way that's designed to stir our affections for more of him. Right, so if you take community, right, that's what community does. It is designed to be this thing where all of a sudden we, we walk away from a really good night with friends and, and we say, God, how kind are you? God, how gracious are you that you would allow me to have relationships like this? God, you are so gracious in just the common things, right? I think one of my favorite examples of common grace ever are taste buds, which might sound random, but, but like, here's the thing. Like, hear me out. <laughs> You ever thought about the fact that God could have chosen to fuel and nourish our bodies without allowing us to taste things? Right? Like, like, like God wasn't obligated to allow us to taste flavors and smell aromas. 
Like, how gracious is that? That God is so kind. He's like, hey, I'm going to allow them to fuel their bodies, to nourish their bodies, but also know what a medium rare steak tastes like. (laughs) Gracious, right? And if we view the world through the lens of common grace, it allows us to to approach certain things that that maybe once upon a time we saw as, as entitlements. And it changes our perspective. It changes our posture in a way that we can sit at a good meal and say, man, God is good. God, you're so kind. I'm so quick to just overlook it because it's common. I'm so quick to overlook the common things. But God, you are so gracious. And even allow me to have taste buds. You're awesome. Right? And the fun thing is that when we view the world through the lens of common grace, everything's exciting. Everything's a gift. And it's so fun. But the question is, do we have that perspective? Do we have the ability to, to walk around and, and view the common things in life as gifts that are worthy of praising God for? Or do we view things as entitlements? Do we walk, walk, walk around angry and upset and bitter? If you do walk around angry and upset and bitter, there's a chance that maybe you are viewing the world as a bunch of things that you are entitled to, that God owes you something. But my hope is that as we unpack Scripture, we can come to a place where we view the world and every good thing as a gift from God that he should be praised for. But there's one last thing. I think the fourth reason why we are so slow to worship God in the good is that we're just too busy to acknowledge his goodness. I think if we're, we're honest, there are moments in time when we are just too busy to acknowledge how good he is. It's not that we don't believe that he's good. It's just that we're so busy. I think that's because we live in a culture that wears busyness as a badge of honor. The more you do, the more you produce, the harder you run, the faster you run, the further you go, the more you are rewarded and the more that you are celebrated. So what oftentimes happens is that we, we appreciate God, we love, love, love God, we know that in theory he is good, but we never take the time to stop and slow down and say, God, you are so good, you are so kind, and I thank you for what you've been doing in my life. We just keep going and occasionally like throw them a nod, right? And what convicts me about this is that if you, if you read, read the, the Gospels, Jesus made a pattern of sneaking away from the busyness of life and just being alone with the Lord. And I would argue that Jesus was a pretty high-in-demand person, right? Like, like, you might think, dude, I'm pretty high in demand. Like, you probably, probably didn't have, have like, people, like, drilling holes in the roof to get to you, right? Like, that's, like, that's a high-in-demand person, right? Like, like, like 5,000 people are, like, following him around, like, begging him to, like, heal their kids and their second cousins, right? Like, like that's high in demand. Yet, Jesus made this pattern. You see, all throughout Scripture, where, where when things got busy, when things got stressful, he would specifically carve out time to go alone and be with the Lord and just pray and worship, and thank him. Say, God, you're good. And I think the reality is that, man, if God in the flesh, if God incarnate needed to sneak away from the busyness to stop and slow down and acknowledge the goodness of God, then how much more do I need it? How much more do we need to to slow down because we can be so busy, and busy doing good things, not bad things, but busy doing good things that we just completely neglect or completely forget to worship God. 
until the moment when everything hits the fan and then all of a sudden we need them again. So here's how I want to close tonight. Um, My my guess is that ideally for the next 20 minutes you don't have anything on your plate because you've agreed to be here. Um, So you have nowhere to go, no excuses. Uh, So we're going to spend the next 20 minutes doing just this. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes stopping, slowing down, and reflecting and praising God for who he is. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and they're going to play. But I'm going to lead us through what's called a pastoral prayer. So if you're new with us, you're like, that doesn't make sense. Uh, I'm just going to give you some prompts, and we're just going to spend some time, because I know that you guys, I mean, Wednesdays are hard. I get it. Like, you work all day. You get off of work. You run over here. You grab some food. You sit down. And maybe some of you just haven't had a minute to breathe in a long time. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, and I'm, I'm going to lead us through a couple of prompts. And, and my hope and my prayer is that we can take time to stop and acknowledge the goodness of our God because he's worthy of our praise. First, I want to ask you... Um, to just stop and think about, man, what are the areas of good in your life that you've been defining incorrectly? What are the areas where um, maybe God is currently disciplining you, but you just haven't either acknowledged it or recognized it or praised him for it? Are there certain, certain places in your life where he is chiseling you to look more Like him, take a moment and praise him for just the good that he is doing, even though it might not feel good or look good. Praise him for the areas where he is chiseling you to look more like him. Are there moments when you just don't see the grace and forgiveness of God as good enough? If there are moments when you look at the grace of God and you say, no, no, it's, it's good and I appreciate it, but it's not the good that I'm, I'm wanting. And take, take a moment and just be honest and confess that to the Lord. And thank him for his grace. Thank him for the fact that he does not treat your sins the way that they deserve.
maybe there are areas in your life where you're just angry with God because you feel like he hasn't given you something that you're entitled to. Confess that and just take a second to reflect on all the gifts that God has bestowed upon you. Reflect on how gracious and lavish he has been. Figure out what those things are. Praise him for it. Maybe, maybe you are in a place where you can honestly say, man, things aren't good. I can acknowledge the things that are good. I can acknowledge the areas where God has been gracious and faithful to me, and I, I love him for it. But if I'm honest, there's also a lot of stuff that's just not good. The word of God tells us that we have a God who loves to give good gifts to his kids says that if our earthly fathers know how to good, give good gifts, then how much more does our heavenly father? So let's finish by simply asking God, if there is something that you are longing for, that you are just asking God for, humbly and boldly approach our God who is our loving heavenly father and ask him for good. Father, I am um, <clears throat> so grateful tonight. And the truth is, I'm rarely as grateful as I should be. I rarely have the posture to stop and slow down and just dwell and acknowledge on how good and kind and faithful you have been. So yeah, will you forgive me of that? Will you continue to, to change my perspective? Will you continue to change my eyes and, and give me the eyes to see how good and kind and faithful you are? to daily just stop and praise you for it because you are so worthy of our praise, God. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I love how the gospel isn't limited by our circumstances. So often, we tend to only think of God when times are tough and we feel like we need rescuing from whatever is going on. But I hope that this is a reminder to us that for as much as we see the need for God when times are tough, we have an equal need for him when times are going well. So may we recognize that God is the sustainer of all parts of our lives, no matter what season we feel like we're in, whether in the highs where we get to rejoice in his provision or in the lows 
trusting in His goodness. So if you have questions about the message, or you just want to get in contact with us at Renovate, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw. And we would love to hear from you. That's all from us for now. We hope to see you again soon.